open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. And as we bow before your holy word that it might do its work to quicken us, to open our eyes that we might see truth, to enlighten, and may your spirit draw. Above all things, in this time of worship, we want to bring you glory. As we listen to you, we want to bring you glory. As we cast our care upon you, we want to bring you glory. And as we go from this place, walking by faith, we long to bring you glory. Let us see the King of glory, in whose name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. There is something produced in the Middle East that is worth its weight in gold. It's olive oil. Actually, it's produced in many places, but it is gold. You think about it, it's used on our food, it's used in cooking our food, it's used for religious rites. It was used as fuel to light lamps. It was used in the soap that was produced for the people of that day, for medicine, for skin care, and on and on we can go. It's an amazing product and still is today. But to get olive oil from olives, you've got to crush the olives. To create the oil, you've got to crush the olives. You know that. In fact, there's a familiar place in the story of Jesus, the Garden of Gethsemane, where he is praying before the crucifixion. And there he is praying so earnestly that the scripture described his sweating as great drops of blood. And the struggle with, I don't want to go through this, but your will, not mine. And Gethsemane simply means olive press. They would take the olives and they would put them in a stone trough and with a stone wheel they would crush the olives and produce a, a mash. And then the mash would be gathered up and to put into woven baskets, usually woven uh, with animal hair. And then they would set these baskets one on top of another and then put more weight coming down, stone weight, on the mash to produce the, uh, the liquid. But the liquid that came out was kind of an icky, sticky red stuff. A and then they would have to wait for it to separate and they would skim the olive oil off of the top. And then they would put it through some more filtering processes, like through a burlap sack or something like that, until they would come up with what we might call pure virgin olive oil. It was quite a process. But isn't it interesting that in one of the most difficult times in the life of Christ, he was being crushed, just like the olives that were growing in that place. And such is the life of faith. If you want faith to mature, it needs to be crushed. And when we come to Hebrews chapter 11, we not only have amazing stories of men and women of faith, and some of them <clears throat> very triumphant, and others of them end in what appears to be horrible tragedy, but in every case, there is the crushing of the olive. And that's what makes faith so difficult. 
we're going to walk by faith, we're going to be crushed. It's not going to be easy. So let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews 11, the portion of Scripture that Pastor Doug read a moment ago. And he read the section that deals with Abraham, who is often called the father of faith, or even the father of the faithful. And there are more verses in this chapter than any other chapter in Hebrews, and there are more verses in this chapter uh, about um, Abraham himself. That is, there are more verses in chapter 11. It's the longest chapter. And there are more verses in Hebrews 11 about Abraham, even though there are some 15 people mentioned. So first of all, we notice that he was called to go to a place. That's verse 8. He received a promise and he began a journey. But when he got there to that place, the scripture says in verse 9, that he had to live like a stranger in that place. Now, I don't know how much he knew before he got there. He didn't know where he was going. He probably didn't know how long he would be there and was a bit surprised, perhaps, to hear that, oh, by the way, you won't inherit this place yet. In fact, you never will in your lifetime. So, like a stranger, he got to that place. And so you can see that Abraham, by faith, embraces the promise. But then immediately, the faith is refined in the process. In the process of walking by faith, we embrace the promises of God, and then our faith is crushed so that it might come out pure. A.W. Tozer said, faith is a journey, not a destination. We never arrive until we arrive in glory. And it was J. Oswald Sanders who said, faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as the present and the invisible as that which is seen. Faith, those first few verses of chapter 11, is the conviction, the confidence, the assurance of what we hope for. It is the proof of things we cannot see. And faith treats the unseen as though it is seen and the future as though it is present. Now, the reason given for his ability to sojourn in a place that was his, but not yet his, is because he was looking for a city, even beyond the earthly, a heavenly city whose builder and maker is God, verse 10. The uh, architect, the designer, and the one who constructs is God himself. That brings us to verse 11. And now we want to notice in the life of Abraham, it, it's kind of the same basic movement that we saw last week. First of all, faith embraces. Faith, by faith, they receive a son. I say they, Abraham and Sarah, and you'll understand what I mean in just a moment because when you get to verse 11, it says, by faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was unable to become a father because he considered him faithful who had the promise. Now, I don't mean to confuse you. That's the NIV of 1984. Here's the NIV of 2011. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful who had promised. 
The ESV, the English Standard Version, has Sarah as the main subject of verse 11, where many of the older translations have Abraham as the subject of verse 11. And so you say, wait a minute, the, the word of God must be wrong. No, it's not wrong. It's, it's dealing with two people in a very similar situation, and the original language is a bit challenging to know who exactly the author is bringing forth. We know he's brought forth the faith of Abraham, and it's very possible that in verse 11, he's now bringing forth the faith of Sarah. But both of them, Sarah and Abraham, were past childbearing years. And yet Abraham was unable to be, a, to be a father and Sarah was unable to bear children because both of them considered him faithful who had promised. Now listen to Paul talk about this same issue in Romans chapter four. Against all hope, Abraham believed in hope and so became the father of many nations just as it was said of him so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in faith, Abraham faced that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded, Romans 4.21, being fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able also to perform. Now that's exactly what it says at the end of verse 11. Considering him faithful, who had promised. And when you get into verse 12, here's that dead language. And so from this one man, Abraham, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky. Abraham was dead. He was 100 years old. Now, he wasn't dead dead. He was dead in the realm of biological reproduction. And Sarah was 90 years old, which we can say is dead. So what the Bible says. I, I can't read this portion of scripture without ever uh, not thinking of that iconic movie, The Princess Bride. Do you remember it? So Wesley is dead, they think. And they bring him to Miracle Max. And he can't talk, he's dead. And Max says something like this, um, it just happens, so happens that your friend here is mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Now, mostly dead is slightly alive. <laughs> all dead is usually only one thing you can do. Go through his clothes and look for loose change. <laughs> but Abraham and Sarah were dead dead, all dead. Not mostly dead, biologically, they were all dead. And this is a miraculous conception. It's a miracle. Just as we point to the amazing miracle of Zechariah and Elizabeth, Luke chapter one, having a son, John the Baptist, when they were well beyond the years of having a child. So they had to wait a long time, 100 years old, that's like they waited a decade for the promise to be fulfilled and had some hiccups on the way. <laughs> and then the son comes. Isaac is born and they rejoice with Isaac and they get rid of Ishmael to the heartbreak of his father Abraham and to the joy of Sarah who wasn't the mother of Ishmael. 
but they were enabled to become parents by faith. And the track record over those 25 years wasn't perfect, but their faith was sincere. And although it might have struggled, it, it latched on to God. It embraced his promise. And they considered this, that the one who had promised, they were persuaded, the one who had promised was able also to perform. And that's the heart of faith. God is. And God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And when you're convinced of that, you go forward. Adoniram Judson, the great missionary, was lying in a filthy Burmese prison many years ago, chained with 32 pounds of chains and also tied up with slits of bamboo. And the prisoner that was there in the cell with him realized who Dr. Judson was and said cynically, so, what's the prospect of converting the nations look like now, Mr. Judson? And Judson responded instantly, the prospects are just as bright as the promises of God. I don't think I would have responded that way. But he was convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform, and it all doesn't depend on you. And God can have replacements, and he does. It was the great New Testament scholar, actually theologian, J. Gershon Machen, who said, the more we know of God, the more unreservedly we trust him. The greater our progress in theology, the simple and more childlike our faith. The greater we understand who God is, like a child, we simply say, I believe. And then we act by faith. So that's what Abraham and Sarah did. By faith, they received the son. But then notice this, by faith, they released the son. Here's where the olives get crushed. Now waiting, that took a long time. And finally, the son is given and they live with Isaac, what? Three decades? Maybe he's 30 years old? And then we come across what the scripture says in verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. First of all, Abraham was tested regarding the land. He believed the promise, but then had to live like a stranger in it. Now he's tested with his son. He believed the promise, but now he's going to have to give up the son of promise. It is interesting to note that Abraham refused to put limits on the request of God. Oh no, God, you can't ask for that. Now, he might have been thinking it, but we have no record in the scripture that he said it. When God asks great things of us, we often argue with him and say that is not a proper request. But Abraham put no limits upon the request of God upon his life. And this was a big one. The rest of verse 17, he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Have you heard that kind of language before? 
said of Christ, only begotten. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And so here's the difficulty after seeing the boy growing up. Growing up all the promises of God are contained in this young man. As it says in verse 18, it is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned, counted. Earlier, it was said that the offspring is going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky or the grains of sand on the seashore. And now you want to give me up, give up the son of promise? You want me to give him up? I noticed one thing going through school. Actually, I probably learned a couple things, but one thing I learned going through school is that the tests intensify as you advance in the grades. You say, that's really deep, isn't it? Oh, I remember in elementary school, those tests, you know, you, they'd give you a sentence and block out one word and you'd have to come up with a word. And that was hard at that time of development. But you, you get into high school and into college and graduate school and the tests become more difficult and you long for those sentences with one word blocked out. The tests of faith are very similar in that they often intensify with your growth in grace. Oh, I remember when I came to Christ, you know, the big test was so small. But now, Abraham says, now you want me to give up the son of promise? Oh, I don't know what kind of argument, what kind of discussion, what kind of dialogue they had, but I do know this. By faith, when God tested Abraham, he came through with flying colors. He offered up Isaac. Read the story in Genesis 22. It is really fascinating. But verse 19 gives us the reason. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he received Isaac from death. You go on and you read in Genesis 22 and God says, go to this mountain and go to Moriah and I want you to sacrifice your son. So it takes a few days to travel and they get there and they see the mountain and there's a servant with them or two. And Abraham says to the servant, you stay here. My son and I will go up to worship. And what's the rest of it? And then we will return to you. I love it. Well, what are you doing, Abraham? Well, he figured that since God made everyone, he can raise the dead. And apparently that's what he's going to do. So I'm simply going to follow him. What faith? And so then they make their way up to the mountain and Isaac says, well, you know, here's the fire and here's the wood, but where's the sacrifice? <laughs> I don't know how he could answer that as dad. You're the sacrifice. He didn't say that. What did he say? God will provide. God will provide. And then he, God even lets him get to the raising up of the knife. And then he says, stop. 
I see that you're believing. Now God knew what he was going to do, but he lets us go through all of those issues, the crushing of the grapes. And he throws the knife to the side and gets the ram out of the thicket and to the glory of God, Isaac is brought back from the dead metaphorically because it wasn't actually killed. And that's why we call Abraham the father of faith because faith honors God and few people had it like Abraham. The conviction was God is and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He was willing to offer him up because he was convinced God would raise him up and he was clinging to the promises of God. He put no limit on God's request of him and he put no limit on the power of God to raise his son from the dead. And he was convinced, fully persuaded, that what God promised, he was able to perform. Where is the faith like that in my heart? When I rebel against the requests, and I question the timing that continues on and on. And wonder about the power of God coming to intervene. Oh, no, no, none of that was in the life of Abraham. He went forward. You say, well, I'm a, I'm a child of Abraham. I'm a person of faith. I hope so. I remember the story in John chapter 8 where Jesus was saying to a group of Hebrew people, he said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And what did the Jews say? We've never been in bondage to anyone. Why are you talking about being set free? Which was a really stupid statement because they'd been in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. And at that very moment, the Roman armies were surrounding them. We've never been in bondage. That's the way people talk. How you doing? I'm doing great. Are you walking by? I'm walking by faith. Having victory over sin. I'm having victory over sin. Nothing binding you. I've never been in bondage to anything. And the sins that hold your heart and mind control you. They say, wait till we get home. Wait till we get on the road and I have a driver cut you off and we'll see how bound you are by anger. Right? I've never been in bondage to anyone. And Jesus gave an amazing answer. They said, we're the seed of Abraham and Jesus acknowledged, yeah, you may be the seed of Abraham, but you're not his children. Because his children walk by faith. Only those who live by faith are the children of Abraham, which means you don't have to be a Jew biologically to be a child of Abraham. Because it's the people of faith who are children of Abraham. And faith must Act. Faith and obedience are inseparable. And we cannot talk about having faith without any production of that faith, any demonstration of that faith in our life. Read James chapter 2. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is mentioning. These were real heroes of faith because they believe that God is. 
And they believed that every promise of God was true, that God was trustworthy, and they went forward in miraculous ways. Romans 4.11, so then Abraham is the father of all who believe. Galatians chapter 3, verse 9, those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And that's why all of these wonderful biographies are given to us in condensed form in chapter 11. So that in walking with the wise, we will become wise. And in walking with the faithful, we'll learn what faith really is. Did you notice that Isaac had a miraculous conception or birth and metaphorically was raised from the dead? That sound like anyone else you know? <laughs> Miraculous birth, raised from the dead. There can be no doubt that Isaac plays an important role in picturing the coming Messiah, who is going to be discussed when we get to chapter 12. The one whose faith in God was perfect is the best example. And when we think of Isaac playing that role, hmm, we think that all of our faith, remember chapter 12 of Hebrews, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He begins and ends it. He starts it, keeps us going, and brings us faithfully to the end. It's all about Christ. I did a little study on the Impala this week. Not the car, but the animal, the African Impala. And it's a rather interesting one. Here's a picture of one. And this next one is a picture of an Impala showing off. I'm told that they can jump 10 feet high and in that leap, go over 30 feet in distance. Now this is an actual picture. And if you'll notice the reason for their activity, it's found in the lower section of the picture as a crocodile's coming out of the pool, makes itself known and it likes an explosion of impalas. They just jump everywhere and take off. But the interesting thing about an impala is that you can keep them in any zoo with nothing more than a three-foot wall because they will not jump to a place where they cannot see the landing. They've got to see where their feet are going to land or they will not jump. Put a little wall in front of them and even though these amazing, incredible animals can do all of this leaping, they won't move. Which reminds me of Christian people who, by God's grace, have this amazing faith, but put a little three-foot wall obstacle in your way. You can't see, so you're not going to jump. God made you to jump. You've jumped before. Jump! I cannot see. Apparently you can't. Because people of faith see the invisible. You want to see a person who has seen God? The fruit of the faith 
is the evidence of the heart. A little faith will bring your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Let's pray. Father, we are so often held back by very small obstacles because we say we believe, but we're not seeing. So Lord, help us every day of our life in our meditation on the word and our prayer to you. Help us to see the one who is invisible and then live like it. By faith, going forward, by faith, enduring the time of testing so that in the end, you will be glorified because faith honors God. In your name we pray, amen.